As, uh, as many of you know, um, this week um, we were rocked by another, another tragedy. And um, it's normal and natural for our church um, when things happen to pause and to pray and to reflect and ask the question of what does this mean for us as followers of Jesus. Um, I've been uh, somewhat discouraged and maybe amused a little bit at kind of responses on social media, um, folks shaming people about being in solidarity with what happened in Paris because seemingly people don't care about what happened elsewhere, which I think is kind of dumb. Um, Let's give people the benefit of doubt and the folks who cared about what happened in Paris also care about what's happening elsewhere, okay? And that's what we do as a church. We remember that 129 people were killed and many are critically wounded. But we also remember that a couple days before that, there was another terrorist attack in Kenya where close to 150 students were killed. And a couple days before that, that there was a suicide bombing in Beirut, where 45 people were killed. And before that, many in our own land are also being shot and killed. It is with all of them that we stand in solidarity. Amen? And it is with all of them that we as followers of Jesus pray for and ask the question of what our response is. So what I want to do this morning is I'm going to pray, kind of a corporate prayer. And I'm going to give some room and space for you in your seats, on your own, to silently respond as a follower of Jesus, to pray in the way that you feel led by the Spirit. Amen? Let's close our eyes and pray. Again, I'll pray a corporate prayer. And then as you feel led by the Spirit, You pray. Dear Heavenly Father, another day of terror-making darkness, evil-doing madness, and life-taking sadness. We cry out, as the psalmist did, how long, O Lord, how long before you send Jesus back to eradicate all evil? How long before the wicked will be no more? God, we are weary, weary of attacks and chaos. God, we are shaken, shaken by the news that so many lives have been wounded and killed, not just in Paris, but in Beirut, in Kenya, and all over our own land. God, we are tired, tired of being scared and wondering when the next attack will happen. God, we are weeping, weeping, with the families of those who lost their loved ones, even as they mourn and cry out. And God, we're grateful. Grateful that when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that you are with us. God, we are hopeful. Hopeful that your love is bigger than our hate and stronger than our malice toward our brothers and sisters. God, we are praying 
praying that you would reveal your peace this day, not only in Paris, but throughout your whole world. And Father, we offer up our prayer, not in self-righteous judgment, but as your weary children, longing for the day when the knowledge of your glory will fill the earth as waters cover the seas, when perfect peace will replace every expression of evil. And until that day, free us from all bitterness and lust for revenge, for vengeance belongs to you, not to us. And make us warriors of your peace and agents of hope, for we know that our labor in the Lord is never in vain. The gospel of the kingdom will prevail. Defeated evil will be eradicated evil. And the devil is filled with fury for he knows his time is short. Make it much shorter, Father. Much shorter. Grant us wisdom to know what loving mercy, doing justice And walking humbly with you looks like in our own land. Replace our frets and fears with faith and trust. Our rage and wrath with patience and courage. So very amen we pray in Jesus' triumphant graceful name. And I invite you, church, to spend the next couple minutes in prayer as you feel led by the Spirit for those who have been affected. All God's people said, Amen. Tom, come on up, please. Everybody, church, give uh, Tom a big hand when guests come up to share. Thank you. Have a seat, Tom. Um, I wanted to do this on purpose because um, I'm just hoping that the, uh, the iron, irony, ironic contrast, come on, can, can, can we get ourselves to, we're going to talk about cups when an entire world is unraveling because of evil and sin and injustice, really? And if that offends somebody, and I'm sorry, but I... I just feel like so much of our energy in this country as followers of Jesus, our energy is misguided towards things that don't matter. Tom, how are you? I'm hurting. Okay. Why are you hurting? Well, I'm just going through some transitions. Uh, got a new job. Had an uh, unexpected schedule change. Okay. Uh, the chef in the restaurant that I've been training in has, has quit. Yeah. Almost made it... Uh, Difficult. It almost made it necessary for me to not be here right now. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I may, I may be uh, have to train some people to uh, to run their Sunday breakfast. And okay. uh, I'm going through some other issues. You know, trying to reestablish my residential yep. permanence and yep. financial strength and okay. stability. <laughs> Let's give them some background. Because <laughs> Tom right, and I, t- give you the short <laughs> yeah, Tom and I talk all the time. We were talking all this morning. We're just basically kind of 
continuing our conversation from the morning. They're all going, what? What, what is he talking about? So let's, let's back up a little bit. You, have not, you and I have known each other for about eight, I want to say maybe nine years or so. But let's back up a little bit. And um, for those of us that don't know Tom and are not aware, share with us a little bit about your story and how you wound up on the streets and um, some of the first few years of what that was like. So take us back a little bit and share with us. Okay, I'm 57. I was in active addiction for uh, 30 years. Uh, I began attending a uh, new community in, I'm going to say, 05, 06, more off and on for several years. Uh, I was exposed to uh, and invited to the Warming Center on Diversity uh, in 05, I believe. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. And uh, changes started to happen for me there. Uh, I went into the Salvation Army Adult Rehabilitation Center in 2007. Spent two years in that building. Put some clean time under my belt and went out and relapsed. I've had a few relapses since then. Uh, this year, we're going to update. This year, I've had three jobs trying to transition from the construction trade into the back into the food business, which I, I did. I, I was a functioning addict and uh, kept a job all those years and actually thought I had it together. Uh, and in retrospect, I did not. And uh, everyone around me knew it. Uh, except me. And uh, I'm just going to take a second to thank all of my friends and supporters at New Community who Go have helped it. me over the years. Go for it. Uh, I wouldn't have the ability or the courage to sit up here uh, if it wasn't for you all uh, working the gospel, working the gospel in my life and in the lives of people like me. Yeah. Um, so we update to... Uh, Excuse me. We update to uh, the end of September in a short job search at the uh, at the uh, open arms, and I had a list of twenty uh, prospects and went out and I I hit on three and I was hired by the third person and uh, something about threes I guess I don't know I made them an eggs Benedict they loved it and I'm gonna you know by two o'clock today I'll have made about thirty of them. Um, so I have to leave here. I'm, I'm, I can't go to the members meeting, um, and I have to go walk into a walk into a kitchen that's already running and I didn't set up, and I have to execute a 200 ticket rush. And uh, please don't come. Give me about <laughs> give me about three weeks to get this thing together. Um, but I when I was introduced to the warming center, uh, slowly my heart started to warm up and I found hope. And uh, I want to say I got my mojo back. I got my desire to be employed and, be a, and live life on life's terms and be a productive member of society. Tom, what's, what are some of the challenges and hardest things about being out in the streets that vast majority of people might not even be aware of? I have been uh, I've been uh, meditating and praying about um, uh, about loneliness and about uh, having someone to, to talk to. We have a we have a, a population of 
homeless people in this neighborhood, um, substance abusers like myself, mentally ill, financially strapped, for whatever reason in the circumstance that they're in now. Uh, and we communicate with one another, but generally not to the depth that we're sharing right here today. Um, my story is, is uh, out there. I, I try to be fully known. Uh, there are things I still hold in, but I have been able to learn to trust people, share my story, because I know they don't judge me, uh, and it has helped me. It has freed me from some demons that I carry around with me and will carry till I die. My father was a, a recovered alcoholic when he passed away. He was 13 years sober. When he got sober, he became a substance abuse counselor. And this is kind of a shadow that hangs over me. You know, mm. this guy went out and did it right. Mm. And uh, so uh, we deal with... Um, loneliness and isolation and the substances that I have consumed and we consume block us from the Holy Spirit and mm. to be able to channel the, channel the energy of the Lord. Mm. Uh, they block us from success. They magnify our fear of success and our fear of failure, mm. our fear of our history. Mm. Uh, it's become more difficult for a homeless person to take the steps necessary forward to become stable residentially and financially. Mm. There are fewer options residentially, especially yeah. for a single person to uh, save enough money yeah. to groom himself well enough to get back into the work world yeah. and pay taxes, as it were. Yeah. But I think, that the, I think that the loneliness is a huge issue, and I call on volunteers that, that have free time to come down to open arms and... Get into, the, get into the dining room and sit down with some of us and, and melt some hearts because that's what happened to me. My heart melted. Mm. And the people that uh, were involved in that, they know who they are. And uh, there have been many over the years. Mm. Uh, I remember, I have to say that uh, Libby Van Opsel was a was a tremendous influence on me. And uh, she... She gently encouraged me to get involved in cooking at the kitchen, uh, which wasn't much of a kitchen. And uh, she would say, Thomas, use your gifts. And uh, I didn't look at things that way. You know, I thought, that, well, this is my, this, you know, I'm talented, man. This is what I get to do, you know. And uh, that has changed for me. I get tremendous satisfaction out of prepping a, a lunch for 50 people at Open Arms mm. because... Uh, these are people that are hungry and they need to eat and they don't have any money. Um, and this is the bottom line is there's a tremendous amount of resource in this city. Yeah. We put away 200 pounds of chicken yesterday, donated from a grocery store in Northbrook. Mm. Uh, some of that was distributed to, uh, to other social service agencies and some of it will, a lot of it will be cooked at open arms. Mm. And I encourage you to come down and learn how to make a roast Greek chicken. If we have some lemons, I'll get Dave to get some lemons, and we'll make some Greek chicken out of it because there's a lot of it. But I, I wanted to say that, that uh, I, I had the opportunity to share my story with people that were nonjudgmental. 
And uh, there's only one person that can hear this individual's story. And it might be you. So come on down and uh, get to know some people that, that I'm going to say this, this might not be very accurate, but people that live on the other side of success. Uh, there are, there's a myriad of, of uh, definitions for the word success. And for me, uh, the final definition today is I have hope today. Mm. I don't have any money. Mm. I got a job that I really, uh, I'm really questioning the stability of mm. the management debt. But I'm going into work, and I'm going to do my thing because God gave me these gifts to, mm. to share. Yeah. <clears throat> At this time, I'm going to ask David Verdin to come on up. Give David a big hand, please. Dave. All right, Dave. Dave and Amy, as many of you know, serve as directors of Open Arms, our only center. They've been a part of our church for years. And um, I've asked Dave to be able to share a little bit today as well. So, so Dave, um, as you've been the director of the Warming Center and Open Arms, what, what are some things that you would say in your experiences in ministry encounters about the homeless population or folks in this city, maybe even the state of Illinois, that we would benefit learning from? Like, who are they? And, and yeah, so um, Pastor Peter actually gave me a heads up that he was going to ask me for some of this information. <laughs> so um, uh, quite honestly, uh, in my day-to-day -day at Open Arms, a lot of times these kinds of statistics and numbers don't really make a big difference in what I'm doing every day. But they do matter. It, it has a lot to do with why we're serving the people that we're serving, why there are so many people to serve. Um, so I, um, I looked over some statistics, and um, a lot hasn't changed in Chicago and Illinois over the past few years. I make myself familiar with this information, but I'm going to share some numbers with you all. Um, so there's the first thing you need to know is it's kind of hard to come up with accurate numbers of, of who's homeless, how many people are homeless, what kind of people are homeless, uh, because just because of the nature of homelessness, people are transient. It's hard to find people who are homeless. People don't always want to admit that they're homeless. It's, mm -hmm. it's not uh, something people are proud of. Uh, so these numbers uh, could be and are probably a lot higher than um, what have been um, decided as the final statistics. So one count that's done um, at the beginning of every year is called the point in time count. And basically people, they get a bunch of volunteers. Uh, the city gets a bunch of volunteers and they go out throughout the city, usually in the middle of winter, and they count how many homeless people are sleeping outdoors and mm -hmm. how many people are sleeping in emergency shelters. And so from that number this year, in 2015 in January, there were uh, 6,786 homeless people found just just in that alone. So that doesn't count the many homeless people who found a really good place to sleep and you couldn't see them. Um, there were probably people sleeping on trains that they couldn't quite find, people sleeping in abandoned buildings or basements that they weren't aware of. Um, so there's actually, um, when you take into account the numbers of people who have been served by homeless uh, service centers of different kinds, um, the, it's probably a more accurate, accurate picture of um, any, any given moment there's probably 10,000 to 15,000 homeless people in the city of Chicago. Um, that's uh, an estimate uh, just based on people that have been served and the number of services that have been given out. 
Um, and then the Chicago Coalition for the Homeless, they do a lot of studies, a lot of research, and a lot of surveys. And so from the 2014 to 2015 school year, they estimate that 125,848 Chicagoans experienced homeless sometime within that year. So the 2014-2015 school year. Um, throughout that course, um, over 125,000 people experienced homelessness. And that, that number is based off of 20,205 homeless students who are identified by the Chicago public school system. Um, so... Um, so 11.3% of those students, um, and that number, the actual number is a little over 2,000 students, lived in shelters. Um, 191, at least 191, lived in a public place, meaning a park, a train, or other places that aren't intended for human um, habitation. Uh, 18% of those students are diagnosed with disabilities or de developmental delays. 13% uh, of those students were unaccompanied youths, or in other, other words, teenagers who are just out on their own trying to survive. Um, so during that course of time, there were 1,422 homeless individuals under the age of 18. Um, when they count youth uh, numbers, it, it includes, I think, up to 21 or 24 years of age, but we're talking about minors. There were um, mm. 1,422 minors mm. who were homeless um, during that 2014-2015 uh, school year. Children made up roughly one-third of all people living in shelters. And then, um, so that, that's a lot of statistics about students and children, um, and I'll have a little bit more to say about families as well. Um, the state of Illinois as a whole has a lot more um, information about families. Um, but 13% of all homeless people in Chicago during the 2014-2015 school year, 13% uh, were employed but homeless. Hmm. Um, at least 9% were veterans. 4% were HIV positive. 18% of all homeless people um, during the 2014-2015 school year were physically disabled. 33% were severely mentally ill. Over 25% are victims of domestic violence. Uh, victims of domestic violence um, constitute 27% of those who are sheltered. And, um, staying in some kind of shelter program, whether it's just an emergency shelter or transitional housing. And they also consisted of 25% of those who aren't sheltered, so people living on the street, li living in places that aren't intended to be lived in. Um, now keep in mind, uh, during the point in time count, there were um, over 6,000, um, close to 7,000 homeless people identified, both uh, in shelters and outside of shelters. Um, a little over uh, 4,000 of those folks were in shelters during that count because it was probably a very, very cold night. Um, but in the city of Chicago, right now, there's approximately 2,064 emergency beds um, in emergency shelters available. So um, 
one of the things about that is just, you know, a lot of times people say, well, why, why are people sleeping out on the street? Why aren't they in a shelter? Why don't they just go to a shelter? Can you picture, like, can you picture, like, the shelters increase their capacity when there's extreme weather. Um, a lot of um, temporary shelters open up. But um, I'm sure you can, you can confirm this, that some of these shelters are just madhouses. It's just, it's just chaotic and packed, and there's disease, and there's bed bugs. Your stuff gets stolen. You can't actually get any sleep. It's, it's not safe. They're understaffed. Um, so for many people, they just choose to, to stay out on the street. So there were um, 4,000 people sleeping in shelters that night, but there are only 2,064 emergency shelter beds in Chicago. Um, so now here's some Illinois statistics. Um, this is for the entire state of Illinois. A lot of these statistics, um, Chicago accounts for a lot of these statistics. Um, just we have a really large homeless population. Um, but this is the entirety of Illinois. Um, so in the state of Illinois, there were 54,638 homeless students during the 2014-2015 school year. 54,638. Um, families, uh, or the individuals living within families that were homeless, um, that uh, makes up 63,153 people. Uh, those are families who were homeless. Um, 43,958 children and teens were homeless in the state of Illinois during the 2014-2015 school year. 4,457 4, unaccompanied youth who were minors were homeless during that time period in the state of Illinois. And in the state of Illinois, there are 580 total youth shelter beds. So um, 4,457 homeless youth who are minors, 580 youth shelter beds. Uh, 374 of those shelter beds are in Chicago, 115 are in the suburbs, 90 beds are downstate. Um, in the state of Illinois, single adults who are homeless um, uh, attributed for 46.3%. That's 58,238 homeless single adults in Illinois. And this includes uh, the 6,990 accompanied youth who are not minors, ages 18 to 21. Um, so that's kind of like a snapshot of the situation of homelessness in Chicago and even um, throughout Illinois. As you'll see, there's a lot of families, uh, a lot of children. A lot of children are, are, are stuck in this homeless situation with their families. And there really aren't a lot of resources, um, temporary, um, long-term. We're very short on resources. Uh, resources have become even thinner in, in the recent year. Um, there just aren't a lot of things available to help people just get back on their feet. And a lot of times what happens is while they're waiting to find those resources, while people are waiting to get back up on their feet, they keep getting deeper and deeper into homelessness. And so they need even more resources. Um, and so it's even harder to get your way back up. Um, those are some things I think you need to know. Dave, um, this is a two-part question. Um, one is, uh, why do you do what you do? And secondly, how do you keep yourself from being overwhelmed with a sense of hopelessness with the need that you see? 
I do what I do. Sometimes I'm not sure. I ask myself that sometimes, you know. Um, I could do other things. I could do other things, right? Um, uh, But do things that are more fun or that are are a little more exciting and happy and, you know, be an artist or something, right? Like maybe I wouldn't make more money, but I would just, you know, be doing something that's always rewarding. And I do, I think I do what I do. Um, There's a lot of reasons why, but one reason is just um, I know it's what Christ wants us to do. It's something that I care about. It's something that I'm passionate about. I can't look at people who, who don't have basic things in our world and just walk away from it and not do anything at all. Mm. I can't fix everybody. I can't help everyone that I'd like to help. But there's something that I can do. Mm. Um, I definitely know that God has gifted or maybe burdened me with a special sense of, of empathy. Um, when, I, when I see somebody in pain and suffering and needing stuff, I really, I, I, I feel it, and uh, I, I want to do whatever I can to fix it. And uh, sometimes I get carried away with that. Um, sometimes I let it um, kind of overtake me, and I get obsessed over these things. But I think um, God has helped me to kind of use that in a good way. Um, I know that Christ wants us to care, wants all of us to care for those who, who don't have food, who don't have clothing, who don't have shelter, to do what we can. Um, it's not just something Christ wants me to do. But um, I know that God has put that call in my life, has asked me to do that, has shown me to see the world. He's, he's helped me see the world through a, a very specific way, and um, I can't help but do this kind of thing. Whether I were to do it um, as a paid position in a church or volunteer, it's always something that I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. It's always something I'm going to be involved in. Um, and then as I've done it, I've had even more reasons to do it. Um, I meet people like Tom mm-hmm. um, who are people just like me, and... Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I see people's lives changed, um, and, it, and sometimes there's a lot of bumps, a lot of setbacks, but I see people's lives change. I see hope. I see that um, there are other people around me who care about the same things, mm-hmm. um, and that keeps me going. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it can be discouraging, uh, and uh, I, I don't know. I don't really know the answer to the second part of that question. You know, uh, obviously, it's very easy as a Christian to say, well, Christ gives me the strength, and that's true. Christ does give me the strength, but sometimes it's very overwhelming. It's very depressing. Yeah. You can be, feel very uh, very alone, too. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like a lot of people don't get what I'm feeling and, and why I'm so passionate about it. Um, but one thing that does keep me going is um, when I realize there are other people in my church community who do get it, who do care about it. Um, when I share stories or thoughts and feelings and other people are like, wow, that, that touched me or wow, I, I agree with you. I feel that, um, that keeps me going. Um, and it helps me realize that there is hope that, that I'm not alone, that the few people I serve with, that we're not alone, that me and Tom aren't alone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes we've felt alone at open arms, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. that, uh, we do have, there's a church body, um, in new community and just, um, the greater church body that does care. I want to introduce you to some of these folks that um, Tom and Dave referring to, folks in our church family who have volunteered regularly either at Open Arms during the week or the Friday night outreach. So give a big hand for Lynn, Cara, and Henry as they all come up, please. Come on up. Any one of you guys can go first, but 
continuing our conversation. Why do, you, why do you guys do what you do? Why do you volunteer? Why do you participate in this vital ministry of our church? Henry, maybe we go with you first. Um, you know, I, you know, really, it's, it's, you know, you can easily say the, the Bible, the Christ, you know, it's, it's very clear in the Bible to go out literally into the, under the highways and the alleyways to meet people. Um, and, you know, a lot of it initially was Pastor Peter and everyone with these inspiring stories saying, like, you know, you got to do it. And then at the end of the day, you just, you just have to try it. And I'm, I'm rather new compared to these guys. You know, I just only, I've only been to, like, two or three um, Friday night outreaches. And um, you don't really know why you do it until you do it, mm. you know? Um, mm. There was this one story where... Um, you know, I, I met this guy, and he was, you know, was under a highway, and, and Lynn and Howe and everyone else took us there, and you go there, and you meet these people, and you see them on the street, but you never meet them up close, you know, because you never make eye contact. But here, you, you make eye contact, and you do more than that. You, you talk to them, and, uh, you know, I talked to this guy, and I just said, I didn't know what to talk about, so I just asked him, like, tell me who you are, what, you know, what? How'd you get here? Who are you? Where are you from? Where's your family? Or who are your friends? What do you do all day? You know, like, you know, who are you? And, um, you know, we just, I just kept talking and listening. And he, you know, at the end, you know, I told him, like, you know, we're from a church. And he, and he says he knew that. And obviously, we've talked to him before. But in the end, he really said, you know, like, I, you know, if there is a God, I really, I really hate him. And I'm like, I did not know what to say to that. And I just asked him more and more about, like, where is this coming from? And, you know, and then you find out, like, he had a lot of father issues. He has a lot of family issues. And in the end, he just feels rejected from his family, from his friends, and from society. You know, and, and you know, sometimes you don't know what to say to that. And, you know, I, I listened to him, and then I asked him, like, you know what? who does love you, you know, in your life? Who, who, who has loved you in your life? And he said, my, my grandma and my grandpa. And I thought about that, and I told him, like, I know my grandpa and grandma love me too, you know? Like, we have that in common. Like, I know what he means by that. And, um, you, know, you know, when you're there and you're doing those kind of things, you just listen to the Holy Spirit. And he wasn't at the point where I'm like, you know, you know, display the gospel or whatever, but I knew I just had to say, you know, I just want to let you know, God loves you just as much as your grandma and grandpa, you know, and, and I'm just here to, to remind you and really just tell you that's the truth, you know, and then that's, that's what you do. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm like, wow, yeah, that's why I do it. Mm. <laughs> you know, you know, you don't know until you start doing it, and, mm. and I guess that's what it means to act in faith. In, never in my lifetime would I have imagined living in Chicago, uh, let alone <clears throat> hanging out under a bridge on a Friday night, or um, <clears throat> learning from the master chef Tom on how to stretch um, the food in the refrigerator and the shelves into a <clears throat> marvelous dish. But uh, I get to experience that. That's been pretty cool. 
uh, there's no bone in my body that says, this is really a good idea, Lynn. You ought to do this. Um, it's so much fun. Um, I, uh, but uh, the small group I got involved with had an interest in Friday night out outreach, so um, I said, okay, it's part of the group. It's what we do. I'll, I'll do it. Um, and um, I, I still do it with a sense of uncomfort, discomfort. Um, but I do it because um, because that's what we do. Um, a few weeks ago, a month ago or so, when Pastor Michael was preaching on gifts of the Spirit, he asked some questions at the end of his sermon, and one of them is, uh, what, what needs are immediately there for you? And they had just been asking for volunteers for open arms, and I thought, uh, I have some time for that. I can do that. It's not what I'd like to do. It's not what I prefer. Um, there's an old gospel song that's been running through my head for months. Um, one of the lines is, um, uh, it's a song about a, a Christian who's feeling bad because uh, nobody likes him or her um, or getting rejected or whatever. And the line in the song that comes back to me is, if just a cup of water place within your hand then just a cup of water is all that I demand so this feels like my cup of water mm. it's just a being obedient my wife has the passion for all of this she just doesn't have all the energy or the strength mm. so um Sometimes I'm an extension of what she, what's motivating and important to her. Mm. Um, she loves shopping, and so we get to do occasionally thrift store shopping for jeans and pants and shirts. Mm. It's kind of fun. Mm. Thank you. Um, I started... I think in 2008, um, just went to the, was then the warming center for the very first time. Um, it was actually in a dark time in my life where I think I'd just gone through a really big breakup and I was listening to a pastor on the radio and she was like, get out of your self-pity and help somebody. And I'm like, yeah, I should do that. That sounds good. And so... Um, they were actually sending out emails at the warming center to make connections, and I just went, and I remember being really scared. I remember pulling up to the warming center and feeling like, you know, I've never interacted with homeless people. I don't know how it's going to be, and I sat in my car, and I prayed before I went in, um, and I made some connections, and I was encouraged by other volunteers to keep developing those connections. Um, but over time, so I guess I, I started maybe out of obedience, but over time, as Dave said, um, you get more and more reasons, and those relationships develop, and you do it because of people you care about, like Tom, and um, yeah, I think through those friendships, um, basically, some of you know Kevin, um, who uh, passed away a few years ago, but uh, he was pretty transformational in me. Um, realizing that it, it, God has blessings 
for me in this as well. Not that I was thinking about that when I started, but um, I mean, he was a homeless man that was pretty much a genius and knew scripture back and forth and um, was uh, the most Christ-like person I've probably ever met. And um, that encounter, that friendship, that relationship became an encouraging. He would send me, I have emails, we have tons of emails of encouragement, of scripture being just infused into my life continuously. And he became part of my family, came to family gatherings, um, was just always at my apartment because my um, roommates were also involved in homeless outreach. And um, it was, I was blessed beyond I ever thought possible. My world was turned upside down. And um, it's for people like that. It's for those relationships. It's um, to get out of your comfort zone and grow and to learn about people that are so different and so the same as you. Yeah. Tom, I'm going to let you have the last word, okay? As a follower of Jesus, as a Christ follower, and you kind of alluded to it, what has it meant for you to be a part of this church body, this family, in your journey towards sobriety, in your journey towards um, getting the job and so on and so forth? What is this church family and being a part of this community? What is it meant for you? I have a friend uh, among us who, who comes here and... Um, I've got I to gotta reiterate something that he said. Um, you know, I think everybody gets up in the morning with an ambition for the day. And uh, you go through your domestic routine and then you go off to your responsibility if that's work or if that's um, play or it's volunteering. Um, and I asked him, what do you do in the morning? Do you? go through a psych-up session to get ready to go to work. And his response to me was just, it just kind of floored me. He said to me, you know, lately I've been working on loving people more at work. And, uh, you know, as I come to understand the scripture more, I can't quote you a lot of verses. I can't uh, have an automatic response from John or Luke about how to live a life in the gospel. But I mentioned this to you. The first thing that I said to you when we walked outside, the thing that I live by, and I, I constantly repeat to myself and try to practice is uh, be cheerful always, pray constantly, and praise God in all circumstances. And that means when it's 20 below and your socks are wet and you do, you've got the 92 cents and not the dollar eleven for the cup of coffee, praise God. And it means when you've got an opportunity to reestablish your career and it's it's still a little shaky, but it really looks good, and you're holding hope in your hand. Praise God. You've got friends around you that you can share with. Um, 
Love them more. Don't hold it back because there's plenty of it. And it comes from him. There are a number of opportunities coming up, church family, for you to serve. We've already mentioned some of them. There's a huge holiday banquet that we do every year. That's an enormous uh, part of our church ministry. And uh, you'll hear more about it in the upcoming weeks. But we would love to see you there, serving, being a part. And as these guys have mentioned, I think oftentimes we walk away. We walk away at being blessed and being more transformed. And so want to extend that blessing onto you as you consider that. Open Arms is an ongoing ministry that is critically in need of volunteers on an ongoing basis, particularly during winters. It's open Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Friday night outreach is a ministry that goes out once a month. I want to encourage any and all of you. These are various ways in which our church provides space for you to be as hands and feet. I want to encourage you and challenge you to do something, as these guys have mentioned. I want to give, um, if we can give a big hand to everybody that's up here for their willingness and courage. Church, what we're going to do because of time, um, we actually are not going to take communion today. I want to honor the leadership team and the request. We're going to do this next Sunday. I do want the worship team and Carlton to come on up because we're going to collect our tithes and our offering and our material gifts, give them to the Lord. But as we do, I want to pray for these guys as well as Tom um, as we pray for this offering. Church, will you stand with me? Before I pray for these guys, um, I want to remind you that there are bags downstairs for the holiday party. So please make sure you stop by the table before you head on over to the new church. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for our brothers and our sisters that are up here. I thank you for Tom. I thank you for his friendship. I thank you for his life. I thank you for the witness and the testimony that he is, not just to me, but I know to many, many in our church family. Father, I pray that you would ease his anxiety and the stress level as he goes to work today. Use him literally as your hands and your feet, but also powerfully, God, as your hands and your feet and your mouthpiece to be a witness for Jesus in that kitchen, in that restaurant today. May they, may they see Jesus through time. Be with Dave and Amy and all the volunteers as they continue, as they continue, Father, to display and extend your kingdom in compassionate, practical, tangible ways. Encourage them, strengthen them, fill them spirit. May your presence be powerfully felt even in this upcoming week as they serve. God, I pray for our church body along with being overwhelmed at the tremendous need out there, help us to understand and know that you are at work. And as Dave so eloquently said, even though we can't help everybody, help us to start with just one, just one. And as Lynn shared, maybe just one cup of water and as an extension of who you are and what you're wanting to do in and through us. Help us to do 
something, to do something and not be paralyzed by the fear that we wouldn't be able to do everything. Help us to do something for someone, even today, even today, to know that you are at work in and through us. Father, we give our tithes and our offering to you, tithes and offering that goes to meet the needs of the very folks that we talked about today, to support the men and women that are continuing to do your kingdom work. Help us to know that we're not necessarily giving to new community, but we're giving through a new community as we extend your kingdom rule and reign in our community and in our city. We worship you. We worship you. Pray all of this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.